We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome. I'm so glad you can join us on Mission Evolution, where we bring the latest knowledge from today's leading experts to support your evolutionary process. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll consider wisdom, aging as a spiritual practice. In ancient times, and still among many indigenous peoples today, the elders were a revered source of wisdom. Yet preparing for this role requires a process of conscious aging that's virtually been lost. Can we not only age gracefully and embrace the innate wisdom to be found there, but also evolve as human beings in the process? With us this hour to explore the evolutionary advantages of conscious aging is Dr. Connie Zweiger. Connie is a retired therapist, co-author of Meeting the Shadow and Romancing the Shadow, author of Meeting the Shadow of Spirituality, and a novel, Moth to the Flame, The Life of Sufi Poet Rumi, Her new book, The Inner Work of Aging, Shifting from Role to Soul, extends shadow work into late life and teaches aging as a spiritual practice. Her website, ConnieZweiga.com. Connie, thank you so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. Thank you, Gwilda. It's Zweig. So there's no letter after the G. So if if people want to look it up, it's Z-W-E-I-G. Perfect, Zweig. Thank you. So... You're a retired therapist. What did you specialize when you were working as a therapist? My training was in depth psychology, which means an orientation to the unconscious. So um, I ended up writing, exploring the shadow, which was Carl Jung's personal name for the unconscious. And uh, when I first wrote Meeting the Shadow, it just hit such a chord that I went back to graduate school and did the clinical training. And then I wrote Romancing the Shadow. And that's really how most people came to see me 
in my practice for shadow work. So would you mind going into a little deeper? What is shadow work for those of us that may not know? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, psychology now is all about cognitive behavioral quick uh, changes in our thinking and behavior. And it's a lot of it is based on neuroscience. My training is really different. It's rooted in the original psychodynamic theories of Freud and Jung and how each of us have a part of us that carries our buried or repressed feelings, taboos, dreams, talents, um, impulses, and forbidden thoughts. And so uh, Freud called that the unconscious and Jung called it the shadow. And so what I have done is create a method to work with shadow content, the material that we bury. As we grow up, our parents tell us, no, that's not okay. Little boys don't do that. Or little girls don't do that. And so our anger or our sadness or our athletic gifts or our artistic gifts that are forbidden get buried in the shadow. And so my work is about um, helping. And But what happens is, this is why it's important. What happens is the material in the shadow erupts in later life. So there's this process going on. Our conscious personality is developing. What's not acceptable gets buried in the shadow. And then it starts to emerge in self-destructive ways. So in addiction, that's a part of the shadow acting out. In someone who's very critical, that's a part of the shadow acting out. Or someone who explodes with anger, that's something in the shadow acting out. So what initially protected us later sabotages us. Freud, you know, Freud and Jung worked with this primarily with dreams, but I developed a method to work with it that I explore in romancing the shadow. Yeah. So is um the shadow, um, like you say, it, it's the way when we're being socialized, it's where we stuff all the things that aren't acceptable. But revisiting it seems to be something we don't do. Is that when it gets toxic and starts to erupt and sabotage our lives? Yes, there's a natural process because when we bury something, it gathers energy, it gathers psychic charge in the unconscious. And eventually something is going to trigger it. It could trigger depression. It could trigger a midlife crisis. It could trigger a fantasy about, you know, getting a divorce and moving to another country. It can trigger all kinds of things, envy. Um, and so because we ignore it, as you say, because we haven't ever had guidance for what to do about this, um, even in most psychotherapy, we don't have guidance. How do we orient to the unconscious? How do we do shadow work and work with this material? So then it starts to erupt and hurt other people and hurt ourselves. When a person is suddenly triggered into their shadow, how, what, what red flags do we have as, as individuals to go, whoops, this is my shadow? Okay, good question. So we actually see politicians' shadows erupting every day in front of us now, right? That's a lot of what the headlines are about, nastiness. And 
And, you know, otherness, when we make people other, when we um, project or unconsciously attribute to other people that they are not like us because they are X, Y, Z, they are hostile, they are lazy, they are socialist, they are um, fanatic, they are whatever, fill in the blank. That's a red flag that we're in a projection because we're generalizing about a group and we're attributing to them something that is not conscious in ourselves. So let's let's back up just a little bit. uh, And would you please describe what a projection is? Yeah, we unconsciously attribute something that we deny in ourselves to somebody else. So I had a Mm -hmm. woman client who really denied her sexuality. She was disconnected from it. And she used to always say to me, oh, my God, that woman is so seductive. Or that woman is so um, addicted to sex, you know, or that man is so, um, you know, using women. And so she would see that outside of herself all the time because it was denied in herself. That makes perfect sense. So we are rather than owning or looking at our own shadow, we're painting it onto somebody else. And that's a coping mechanism, yes? That's a coping mechanism, a defense mechanism. And because your framework is about evolution or development, you know, if we allow that to remain that way, that's a part of us that's stuck in the unconscious. It's a part of us that's not developing. So when it's stuck in the unconscious, does it not mature with the rest of us? with the, the rest of our being? Um, there is a lot of material in the unconscious that is stalled in development. So for example, I used to see people in my practice who still were, had tantrums like they're five years old and they're married in their forties, but they're having five-year-old tantrums. That part of them is stuck. It's development, the development of that child and its anger is stalled. It's not evolving. And so there's a way in which the unconscious is not in time. You know, it's kind of timeless. So basically you're locked out of time and space and don't get any input from the outside world if this is a part of you that's in the shadow. That's right. So the method that I developed in order to kind of cultivate evolution of the parts of us that are outside of the boundaries of our awareness, the method that I developed is each um, shadow content can be personified as a figure. Because most of us see it as, oh my God, it's a shadow, it's just undifferentiated, amorphous blob, right? So we can't relate to it. So what I found was that each time a client would say to me a repeating statement over and over again, um, and let's use age because that's my current theme. Oh, that woman is too old to be doing that. Or that man isn't acting his age. Or that woman isn't dressing her age. So that repeating statement reflects a repeating thought inside that speaker. And that repeating thought pattern has with it repeating feelings and repeating bodily sensations. 
And when we can identify those three cues, then we can imagine that as an internal figure in the shadow, the ageist, for example, what I'm describing. I call it the inner ageist. And when we have that figure identified and we give it a name, guess what? Then there's something we can work with. There's something we can consciously identify, dialogue with, make a relationship with. It's not unconscious anymore. So by giving it a name that kind of applies to what it is and what it does, we've personified it in such a way that we can relate to it? That's exactly right. All right. Well, we're real close to having to go on to a break. When we come back from from our commercial break, I'd really like to look at how does that relate to inner child work or does it at all? But it is that magic moment. Connie and I will return shortly. So don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution. For more information or to listen to past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. With us this hour discussing age. Hello, this is Discover, and we take customer service very seriously. We know that if you have a question or concern about your credit card, that's a serious matter, and you need to talk to a real person about it. So we offer around-the-clock access to seriously talented representatives in the USA. Again, it's a serious endeavor. The only funny thing about it is Bob. If you call us and Bob answers, you're in for a treat. Get 100% U.S.-based customer service and talk to a real person day or night. Discover exceptionally common sense. As an evolutionary tool is Dr. Connie Zweig. Her website, ConnieZweig.com. Connie, as promised, I was hoping to get into um, what's the difference between your method of giving names to different parts of our shadow and what it was coined as um, inner child work. Um, so there's similarities and differences. It's a really good question. Um, you know, the inner child is an archetype. It's in every one of us. It's a blueprint. And Jung spoke about it as the divine child, the pure, innocent part of us. In the recovery movement, it became known more as the injured, wounded, abandoned inner child um, due to, you know, the trauma that people experience as children. So the recovery movement had various methods for working with this archetype or this internal figure um, in order to reduce trauma, in order to um, make a conscious relationship with it, and then nurture it ourselves as adults. So as adults, we can actually reparent that part of ourselves. And that's what that focused on. And so my work is similar. It has a different dimension. And that is that uh, when I teach shadow work, I also teach meditation or spiritual practice. Because when, when we want to face um, or when we want to encounter a difficult part of ourselves, like an abandoned child or an inner ageist um, or an addict, um, or a jealous sister, or an angry teenager inside of us, then we want to be able to return to our center and use meditation to sit in awareness 
and be able to observe, have the inner space to observe that difficult figure coming up. And this is why I like to say shadow work is spiritual work. So when we can cultivate that internal space in meditation, we can watch it coming up and we can be less reactive and catch it maybe in a moment. Oh, there's my abandoned child or there's my angry teenager. And how do I wanna respond differently now? How can I slow down, not act out, not blame somebody else and look at my inner world. And in order to be able to do that, we need to practice. And, and it takes time doing that practice to cultivate this internal observer and be able to watch our thoughts and feelings come and go, you know, passing like clouds in the sky eventually. So does, does developing that inner witness and developing a practice kind of like give you a therapist in a therapy room, a safe space where you can meet with these shadow parts? That's a good analogy. Yes, it's like an internal space that's safe and that's in your control so that if something is overwhelming you, you can stop. And, and, and you can use your inner resources and also some tools that I offer with shadow work in order to kind of process the feelings that come up with this character. You know, one of the things that I noticed about inner child work is eventually it, had, it runs the risk of becoming a full-time babysitting job. The inner child didn't, didn't ever seem to mature and the adult always had, now little Susie, you're gonna be okay constantly. What do you offer that helps evolve beyond that? Well, if we learn how to develop our own internal resources as an adult, it's not that the inner child grows up, but the inner child can be soothed. And so we can begin to use our own inner resources to, to soothe that part of us. So in Romancing the Shadow, uh, that book is about relationships and shadow work. It's about um, friendship, intimate relationship, parent-child relationship, and how to use the method in that context. In my new book, The Inner Work of Age, it's really about how to face the shadows of old age, the parts of us that are in denial, uncomfortable, scared, worried, um, and don't want to grow old. And so can't actually accept that this is what's happening now. And so the same resources and the same spiritual practices can be used today as we're adults. Um, so as, as, you, as you get older, as we get older, it, it occurs to me that we, we have inner children from being wounded as a child, but don't we have inner adults, shadow adults from being wounded as an adult? Is it a cumulative effect that as we get older and have fewer resources start to really bubble forth? Every age that we've ever been is still alive in us. Every age. So it's not really at some point in our lives, it's not about fixing them anymore. It's about for people I would say in 60 and beyond, it's about giving and receiving forgiveness with others 
and giving and receiving forgiveness from ourselves. Let's talk a little bit about forgiveness. Why is that okay. so important? Because so many of the older adults I've interviewed for my book, hundreds of them, are afraid of dying with regret. And so when we do inner work in the context of impending death, whatever age we are after 60, we, it's on the horizon, then the inner work changes. There's like an alchemical shift that happens when we recognize mortality awareness. And one of the tasks of becoming an elder is to recognize our mortality and not deny it. And so if we're holding on to a hurt and a story about that hurt or a betrayal or a disappointment or a trauma, and if we're holding on to that, it was either done to us or we did that to someone else. Then we are, first of all, living in the past, not really able to fully live here and now and take the opportunities of our extended longevity now because we're in the past. And we're approaching death with this conscious or unconscious worry that that is incomplete and that we may die without taking care of it. So are you saying that those unresolved issues with uh, other people um, and things that we're holding on to actually become part of the shadow then and restrict us further? Well, they're in the shadow if they're unconscious, but if we're aware of them, they're not in the shadow. If we're aware of them, they're uncomfortable feelings that we're carrying with us, right? As we move into later life. And so my book is really about a series of practices step-by-step step, to be able to get free of the past and live here and now and become so, an elder. So Connie, what, what are some of the shadows that we really start running into as we age? How can we recognize those? Well, the inner ageist I mentioned earlier carries our denial of age. So we live in a culture in which ageism is systemic. There's ageism at the workplace, in the healthcare system, um, in families, in politics, it's everywhere. So as we as children internalize that ageism, guess what happens? We grow old and all of a sudden we're one of them, right? And it's one thing we have in common, we're all gonna grow old. And so then we don't like ourselves. We don't wanna be old. We don't want, because this inner ageist in us tells us youth is good, old is bad. So, so basically all of our denials are coming home to roost. That's right. And so what do we do? We start using anti-ageist products. And we start hating ourselves or our bodies or our limitations. We resent getting ill. We resent other people getting ill and we have to do caregiving. And so there's this lack of acceptance, a deep lack of self-acceptance that's a big shadow as we age. So does that, that very uh, resistance to aging prevent us from embracing the gifts therein? That's exactly right. Yes. And there are tremendous gifts 
in this longevity. So let me go back to um, another shadow because each of these shadows that I call inner obstacles can lead to a breakthrough and a gift. So for example, um, if we feel isolated as so many older people do and powerless, then what happens? We don't reach out to serve the common good. We don't join communities in order to engage in social justice issues or church community issues or whatever it is that calls to you. Well, Connie, we're gonna to have to pick up on this example on the other side of yet another commercial break. Connie and I will return to our discussion shortly. So you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. For more information or to listen to past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. Our guest this hour is Dr. Connie Zweig. We're speaking about wisdom and aging. Her website, ConnieZweig.com. Connie, we were getting into an, a lovely example you were giving about when a person is, is having difficulty embracing aging and, and would you mind going on with that? Yeah, we were talking about um, the feelings of loneliness and powerlessness that so many older adults feel, um, especially single adults, but also people living in retirement communities or nursing homes because we have this age segregation in our housing. So, um, with that inner obstacle then, the gift of service is lost. People don't reach out to find communities to engage with others and to serve all of the causes that need the help and the wisdom of elders now. Another one might be, if we're still identified with our doing, our achievement, our success, then we don't slow down in order to do the self-reflection that's needed to become an elder. And so many people are continuing to work now in their 60s, 70s, even 80s. And that's fine if that works for them. And at the same time, we need to make the space for self-reflection in order to do a life review, um, emotional repair, as we were talking about earlier, spiritual practice, as I mentioned, in order to make this transition and really discover the gifts, as you call them. I call them the treasures of late life. But we can't do that if we don't slow down and self-reflect. Tony, would, would you go into, it seems like um, the uh, honoring and using the wisdom of the elders has kind of fled our um, society. What is society suffering as a result of that? And how can we shift that? Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, indigenous cultures in the West and in Africa have a different view of elders um, and their long life experience and their place in the society. Um, here in the post-industrial, post-modern West, we don't have that. And it's partly because of the ageism I was talking about. So what does it mean to become an elder? Who is an elder? 
at 65 in our culture, we have a Medicare birthday and we become a senior. But we don't become an elder because elder is a stage, it's not an age. And by that, I mean, to become an elder requires a certain quality of self-awareness, a certain reflection on the question, who am I? And as we develop our self-awareness, and this is, you know, this is harder to do during midlife when we're empire building, but now we have time. We have time to do this inner work and time to do these emotional and spiritual practices. And so we can become an elder by um, completing that life review, doing that emotional repair and doing spiritual repair work, looking at our deepest beliefs and what do we cherish? Um, what are the practices that we can pick up now? And considering service. How can we create a legacy by giving back to those in need? How can we engage with something larger than ourselves? So for me, those are all part of the, of crossing the threshold to become an elder. And that's something a person has to do themselves. The, it's not going to be honored them just because of their chronological age. Is that what you're saying? The difference between being a senior and being an elder? Yeah, it's a stage of awareness or development rather than an age. We all know older people who are closed-minded and bitter and regretful about the past. Um, that's not an elder from my point of view. It may be a senior, could be 60, could be 85, could be a senior, but that's not an elder. You know, an elder has a heart of compassion and has really harvested his or her life lessons from the long life and looked at it and, and, and distilled the wisdom from it, that's an elder for me. And until we do that as seniors, we really don't have much to offer the younger generation. We're just trying to cling to our association with it rather than embracing the next step and modeling that for people. Is that also go what we're looking at here? Well, I don't want to generalize and sort of put people down. I mean, there may be people who haven't done their inner work who are wonderful grandparents. And, you know, they could be modeling kindness to their grandkids. Um, but what I'm talking about is another step um, of actually modeling um, to your grandkids how to live a thriving, creative, self-aware life at this stage. You know, my 10-year-old grandson is just so thrilled and proud of me with what I'm doing at 72 years of age. And so he's getting a model of an elder that I didn't have. I didn't have that with anyone in my childhood. And what happens is he internalizes that image of the positive inner elder because the inner elder is an archetype like the inner child. It's in everyone. It's just not necessarily activated. And so I'm excited that I can offer that to him just by sitting with him. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to, you know, it's just like he's absorbing that from me. 
I like that you said that um, all the archetypes are present within us throughout our lifetime. Um, they're just maybe not activated yet. If we are able to do our shadow work so we have more mobility, can we embrace these archetypes anytime in our life that that's what's required in the situation? Well, you know, there's no guidance for that in our culture, Gwilda. I mean, that's really what Jung's teaching in depth psychology is about. Um, that these archetypes are in us just as we're in them. Whether the archetype is, you know, the mother, the mentor, the wanderer, the caregiver, the helper, the warrior, the lover. There's so many of them. And we're living them. Just as they're living in us, we're living them. And it's extremely helpful to discover what archetypal story or mythic tale you're living. Because what happened for me when, when I discovered that is my whole personal story opened out into this large universal story. And it connected me to everyone else. So it's a beautiful, that's a beautiful practice. Yeah, the archetypes are a very powerful tool, are they not, for us, just like you were saying, to name your inner um, shadow, different parts of it. You can also embrace the archetype by naming it and finding it within yourself. Do you do that through a meditative practice as well? Um, no, I do that in more um, through reading and contemplating. So, for example, um, when I did my life review, which is a practice for this stage of life, um, I, I did it, I did my ego's life story. And then I did it with the template of the hero's journey. And I saw that all of the major moments in my life were in that archetypal tale. Leaving home, meeting mentors, facing ordeals, finding allies and enemies. And now I feel that I'm returning home with the boon, which is my elder awareness. And so to discover that we live these larger stories can be very liberating. Otherwise, they're just kind of on autopilot and we're along for the ride. That's right. That's right. So if as we start to embrace um, our mobility within the archetypes, doesn't it make us better able to handle any situation when we have the freedom to embrace an archetype that's more suited to the situation at hand? Well, I can give you another personal example of that if you want. Sure, um, we have a little bit of time left in the segment, so go okay. right ahead. I discovered in my 40s, uh, late 30s, early 40s, that I was living the archetype of Athena. And she is a Greek goddess who was born of her father's head, who does not bond with men, who is the, um, the, um, the holder of the city. And I, the more that I read about her, the more that I realized I was living her tale. I was an Athena woman. And then I met Neil and fell deeply in love, had this soul connection. And every time I would try to bond with him, Athena would show up as a shadow character and slash the intimacy. 
I want to be free. I don't want to be trapped. I don't want to be controlled. And so I had to, I call it romancing the shadow. I had to romance or, or work with Athena as a shadow character then in order to allow her to recede and allow another archetype to move forward so that I could be with Neil and marry him and be a wife and a stepmother. Beautiful story. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut it at this point because it's time for another commercial break. Connie and I will be back shortly to continue this discussion. So don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution. For more information or to listen to past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Connie's Why. Her website, Connie'sWhy.com. Connie, you were telling the Athena story and you were close to the end, but did you have something more to say to wrap that up? Well, just that each of us, you know, Jung asked an interesting question. Are we in the archetypes or are the archetypes in us? So the archetype that I'm working with now is the wise old woman. And that inner elder or wise old woman is the fountainhead of the soul. She knows, she guides, she intuits, she um, mentors, she's connected to our spiritual essence. So when I talk about shifting from role to soul, she's that part of us who holds our spiritual connection. And I think these archetypes come and go at different stages of our lives. And exploring a connection to them can be really, really rewarding. They, while they come and go at different times in our lives, um, they don't necessarily come and stay or go and stay away, do they? I mean, so say, for instance, um, if I have my grandchildren over, I drop into grandmother. But if my son is here, I drop into mother slash wise woman. So I, I don't mother him anymore, but I keep him under the wing. I mentor him when he asks. Um, so these are available to us if we've processed enough to embrace them originally. Don't they become available to us to use all along? Yes, and um, I think there's a distinction between a role and an archetype. So you might step into the role of grandma or mother, or you might step into the archetype of it. And I don't know what your experience is. I don't know which it is for you. But when we step into a role, something contracts something narrows. And when we step into an archetype, it enlarges. The archetype holds us rather than um, a role which kind of tells us what to do. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. And I think that's the beauty, isn't it, of, um, of embracing an archetype rather than just playing a role. A role tells you what to do. An archetype gives you the wisdom to do it. Um, well, because most people are not conscious of what archetype they're living, or plural, you know, which archetypes are activated, we say constellated in the Jungian world, different archetypes can be constellated at different moments. Um, so, but most people are not conscious of that. 
And so what happened for me, I wasn't aware that I was living the Athena story. And then when I became aware of it, I realized how much I was thriving in it. And then I became aware that it was restricting me because Athena doesn't bond with men. And she was disrupting my intimate relationship. And so I had to work with that energy to allow it to recede and allow something else to move forward, the wife, which was totally foreign to me. And so we're not, it's not like we can control them. This is a bigger energy than the ego. It's more like allowing, becoming aware and allowing and dancing with them. It's a frequency expression, ultimately, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Just a, a frequency you step into and then express through it. In other words, you're still there, <laughs> but you're, you're, you're being modulated by the frequency of the archetype. Yeah, that's one way to say it. Interesting. So um, can the elders, how can the elders of today spearhead the return to being elders and, and wisdom keepers and all the wonderful things that we seem to have lost? Because if, if there's ever was a time we needed some guidance, the whole society as a whole, it would be now. That's so true. Um, so, you know, I am teaching this process. There's a missing rite of passage in the culture that I'm offering. There are also other groups and communities of elders. If you look online, you can find all kinds of possibilities. Um, I think that, um, and there are also groups who are offering initiations to become an elder. Um, this is no longer invisible. It's certainly not mainstream to the extent I wish it were, but it's no longer invisible. There's a, there are conferences now on conscious aging or positive aging. There are um, all kinds of websites about elders. So I would encourage people who are interested in this, in this journey. Um, it's a journey that's extremely fulfilling and gratifying. I mean, I live with so much gratitude now. And I didn't feel that before, you know, I was very focused on problems in the culture, problems at large problems in my own life. And there's a kind of a there's a kind of a peace and gratitude that you can cultivate through this inner work of age. As we do that, then does that serve as an example for the people that aren't elders yet, but when they become one, like you said, your grandson being very proud of you? Yes, we can model what you're calling wisdom. We can model that for people of all ages and all generations. So I actually had a 30-year-old contact me and say how much my work had changed, how he was going to age in his life. So this is not only, you know, this is not restricted because if we're lucky, we'll all grow old, right? And now this extended longevity, we have as many days between retirement and the end of life as we have between birth and college graduation. That's never happened before in the history of humanity. It's unprecedented. So you mentioned um, uh, aging as a spiritual practice. Would you go into that a little bit, please? Yeah, I like to say age is our curriculum. 
we can learn how to use the conditions of our aging to cultivate spiritual practice. We can learn how to use illness as spiritual practice, retirement as spiritual practice, um, life review, um, emotional um, relationship work as spiritual practice. Um, and, you know, all of the perennial traditions throughout time have taught us that the late stage of life is the time to turn within, you know, to let go of the striving and the doing, to let go of identifying with the stuff, the possessions, the success, the self-image, and to turn within and to cultivate the wisdom of an elder. So aging in that way becomes an opportunity, a profound opportunity. And it, you know, I don't know your audience, I don't know what people believe, but if you believe in, in the development of consciousness and uh, spiritual evolution, then you can pick up a practice and cultivate aging into awakening because that's the, that's the possibility here. How can the return of the elders and uh, aid spiritual evolution of our entire culture? Well, you know, the culture is stuck in so many ways. The global culture is aging rapidly. So that's the statistics, if anyone wants to look them up, are mind blowing. We're gonna have an aging population in every country now. So what does that mean? How can we contribute as older adults? How can we offer a legacy that leaves things better for the next generations. Um, there are older adults who are engaged in climate, the climate crisis, many, many of them, who are engaged in social justice and anti-racism work, um, who are engaged in spiritual practice, which calms and centers them and then you know, sends out that vibration to everyone they meet. I mean, spiritual practice is just is not just a self-centered work. It affects everyone around them. There are so many ways that we can, can create a legacy and contribute now. It's really about tuning in, turn within and listen. What is your soul longing for? What do you want to say or do so that you won't die with regret? Pose to yourself, who am I? And see if you can make an internal shift from your doing to your spiritual essence, your soul, role to soul. See if you can take this time now to make that internal shift. And that will change your life, but it will also change the lives of everyone around you because that's what you'll be modeling. You'll be modeling living as a soul, not as an ego anymore. Well, that was so beautifully stated, Connie. And unfortunately, we are out of time. But thank you so, so much for being on the show. Thank you. Our guest this hour has been Dr. Connie Zwei, a retired therapist and author of several books. Her latest, The Inner Work of Age, Shifting from Role to Soul. Her website, where you can find her book, no doubt, is ConnieZwei.com. This has been Mission Evolution with Wilda Wiecka. 
For more information or to listen to past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Be sure to join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our evolving world.